Principles number 18 and 19. The way of the reason. We teach children too, not to lean too confidently to their own understanding, because the function of reason is to give logical demonstration, A, of mathematical truth, B, of an initial idea accepted by the will. In the former case, reason is practically an infallible guide, but in the latter, it is not always a safe one. For whether that idea be right or wrong, reason will confirm it through irrefragable proofs. Therefore, children should be taught, as they become mature enough to understand such teaching, that the chief responsibility which rests on them as persons is the acceptance or rejection of ideas. To help them in this choice, we give them principles of conduct and a wide range of knowledge fitted to them. These principles should save children from some of the loose thinking and heedless action which cause most of us to live at a lower level than we need. The Commonplace is a podcast for the new homeschooling mom delighted by the ideals and principles of a classical Charlotte Mason education, but who feels unsure of how to get started on the practical side of nourishing a soul on the good, the true, and the beautiful. I hope you find camaraderie here as we get our bearings in the world of old ideas and old books, of wisdom and virtue, and of the means of grace by which God works in this world through the Commonplaces, which includes your home. So, if you're like me, trying to offer your children an education unlike your own, and wondering if you can create an atmosphere, a discipline, and a life of such richness, I'm here to tell you, I think you can. I'm your host, Autumn Kern, and I'm pleased to welcome you to The Commonplace. easiest part of reason, shall we? Mathematics. One of the functions of reason is to give logical demonstration of mathematical truths. And that makes sense, right? We're all good here. Two plus two equals four and all of that. It's that second one that's probably new for most of us. So let's hear it again. The function of reason is to give logical demonstration of an initial idea accepted by the will. If you didn't listen to the last episode about the way of the will, I highly recommend you do that before listening to today's episode. The reason, in its proper place, is a servant to support the will, and the will's job is to accept or reject ideas. So understanding the will is kind of important. But if we were drinking coffee or bourbon together, I'd want to bring in a few things to Mason's chapter on the reason. Namely, consideration of things like emotion and impulse. When looking at a whole person, it's not as clear-cut as will and reason and nothing else. But for today and for the principles of education, Mason is specifically exploring the two guides in the moral and intellectual growth of children. So I'm going to stick there too, because I do think she's right in that if a mother teacher can help support the will and the reason of a child, they will grow in moral and intellectual virtue, which will create a flourishing life as God defines it. And isn't that what we all want for our kids? So reason. Reason is a yes man, a hype girl, a you're so right cheerleader. And this is exactly why a child has to learn not to be too dependent on their own reason. Because reason will always try to find a way to confirm your rightness. It will override the counterpleadings of obedience, and our kids have to know this is going to happen to them. Actually, I love the way Mason says it. She says that whenever they want to do wrong, capital reasons for doing the wrong thing will occur to them. But the good news is that when they want to do good, it's just as easy for reason to confirm their rightness there, too. Now, if you'll remember back a couple of episodes with me, part of this learning the way of the will and the reason is learning to control one's thoughts. 
Reason can't begin saying yes until an idea has already settled itself firmly in the mind of a child. So learning to redirect one's mind in order to give time for the will to ready itself for choosing rightly, that's actually the pressing tool to add to your and your child's toolboxes. So let's take a familiar story that we all know to see exactly how this plays out, how an idea comes, when we should redirect, and what reason does in response. Eve, have you heard of her? I'm just kidding. I'm pretty sure you have. All right, so we'll start there. So we have the introduction of an idea from the serpent. He says, For God knows that in the day you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. At this point, Eve's will should have rejected the idea as disobedience to God. To believe God a liar, to choose to do other than he had said? No, hard pass, can't do it, move on. But instead, she considers it. She does not redirect her thoughts to something else, but instead lets them sit upon the fruit, which, now that you mention it, does look good, even pleasant. Actually, being wise does sound pretty nice. Then we could be like God, and being like God is good, because God is good. And, okay, clearly, yes, now I have added to the words of Scripture, but that's how the failure of the will allows for the train of reason to start running. And before you know it, this is obviously a reasonable, right decision you have made. Let's do it. That's the danger of reason when the will fails to reject wrong ideas. But I want to be clear, reason isn't the bad guy. In fact, reason isn't to blame for things like sin. There's not a place for, oh, well, my mind just ran away there and whoops, sin. Or as one of my children has been saying to me recently when they are disobedient, I wasn't disobeying. I just got mixed up about it. No, no. Reason isn't to blame for sin because, as we now know, we were responsible for rejecting the original idea. But I do feel like this is sounding very doom and gloom. Like, can we even trust reason? Why do we even have this? Why would God do this? No, reason is actually a great gift, a wonderful servant. It's not a good master. Great intellectual advances and discoveries and world-shaping events of good show the power and the need for reason. But reason just needs to stay in its right place. But how did it get to its wrong place? Well, we live in a post-Enlightenment world. I know, I kind of rag on this a lot. But my pinch point with the Enlightenment is that it crowned reason as king, giving it full ruling power and wounding people in the process. Just like we don't want our children ruled by appetite, ambition, or love of convenience, we don't want them ruled by reason because reason is dangerously fallible. If a child wants something, any mother can tell you how impossible it is to outreason them about it. You'll never convince them through logic that they're wrong in their reasonings. You might be able to change their acceptance of the original idea or redirect their thoughts entirely, but you can't outreason them purely against their own reason. I actually think this principle is a helpful key to some of the more frustrating parts of motherhood in the early years. How often do we try to show our children the logical thought process in our discipline and teaching in the home? How often do we watch them go and act unreasonably and illogically again? I have felt before, like all I did in motherhood was gently explain with logic and never get an obvious result. I was missing the beginning domino, the idea at work, the idea that had been accepted. But I've learned two helpful questions that have helped me far more than any rational or logical explanation. Number one, what did you think would happen when you did that? Number two, how did you think of that? The first, the what did you think would happen one, helps a child connect back to their original idea. This is especially helpful in teaching after disobedience, because a child can usually answer this. I wanted to hurt my sibling because I was mad. 
I thought I could eat that snack without you seeing me. I wanted him to give me back my toy. This helps uncover what idea came in through the will's gate, which is helpful for the child, yes, but also really helpful for you as the mom. The behavior may have been a smack on the sibling's back, but now you know that this child accepted the idea to hurt a sibling for a reason, whether out of hurt, anger, or what have you. You could just focus on the smack, right? Just keep saying hands are not for hurting all day long. Or you could help a child see how they believed a lie, calling it right and good. That's how you get to the heart of an issue, and that's how you connect this to the kingdom of man's soul. Oh, there's that man's soul again. Did you catch it last time? It's Mason's name for man's soul. And in every idea we accept or reject, we're really asking, does this protect or hurt man's soul? But anyway, just interrupting myself to invite you over to Patreon to hear today's bonus five where we're talking about neuroscience. Yes, I dabble in neuroscience in so much as it helps me to understand the design and development of my young kids. We'd love to have you nerd out with us over at patreon.com forward slash the commonplace. The second question, how did you think of that, can be used for anything. How did you think of that Lego world creation? How did you think of that game? How did you think of that very cool but dangerous thing you built in the backyard? A child will begin to see how ideas just appear in his mind, and how the reasons for it follow quickly and effortlessly until, boom, it was done. Because that's how reason works. Now, since naturally you are a good student of Mason and have already listened to the other episodes in this season, your mind is already connecting to how a child must learn to reason by spending much time on living ideas. By offering an education and a way of mothering that allow a child to reason out problems of life in story or history, math facts, and logical fallacies, they'll learn to trace the connection between ideas accepted and rejected and the reason that confirms it. A child needs a lot of practice with really good material to do this. And once they've practiced and they're aware that they mustn't depend too much on their own reasoning, they'll be able to better spot bad reasoning. And part of this practice is formally learning to follow arguments and detect fallacies. Children should definitely be taught logic and equipped to hear someone's reasoning while they are listening to someone speak. It's actual madness to let a child face a debatable world without any preparation. I mean, have you been on social media since the year of our Lord 2020? Side note, actually, if your kids are older, one fun thing to do is to play spot the logical fallacy while watching any presidential debate. It's funny, yes, and also very sad, but for this purpose, it's excellent for finding fallacies. Now, as we start to end here, I want to leave you with a few guiding principles to start incorporating into your conversations with your children. We're not going to be able to touch on every wrong idea that comes their way, but we can help them learn to discern for themselves by remembering a few things. Number one, I want, am made for, and must have a God. So the ideas I accept must honor him. Number two, does this idea make my life worth living? Does it protect man's soul? And number three, my reason is fallible, so I must always try to be honest with myself and reassess my thoughts. These are not small ideas, but they are ideas our children need to grow into, and that we are still probably trying to grow into ourselves. Accepting and rejecting ideas is the chief responsibility of persons because it's tied up in obedience, which is the only path of life and joy. But the way of the will and the reason are not something mysterious and unattainable. We give our children a wide range of knowledge, a feast of the very best ideas, and we hold them to principles of conduct that reflect the king they serve. And with a whole lot of prayer and love, 
we continue to point them towards truth, goodness, and beauty. And we do it again and again and again and again. Our children have been gifted by God with two guides for their moral and intellectual growth. They have what they need. They have a will that's a gatekeeper, and they have reason that will support that will. And after studying these first 19 principles, we actually do know how to strengthen a will. We know how to bring a child into the knowledge of God and his world and the child himself. We understand what captures the imagination and the loyalty and the actions of a person. We're not left wondering how in the world could I ever train a will or how could I ever help my child learn to reason and assess that again if needed. We know that God has formed our children with appetites, a need for him and a desire to know his world and his ideas. So we keep coming back to that. Whenever you run into anything, whether it be when you have your mother hat on or your mother teacher hat on, you are always coming back to that. God has gifted himself and his ideas, and we can know the world makes sense and we can make sense of it. And so we go back to our atmosphere, our discipline, and our life, and we use those to teach the will and to support the reason. And in doing that, we're showing our kids how to truly live. That's what the will and the reason do. They help our children live. Now, I'll see you guys in two weeks.